Since the beginning of the church, persecution has been part of the Christian experience. In fact, the Bible tells us that all who seek to live a godly life will be persecuted. Today, an estimated 360 million Christians are living under severe religious restriction. On this podcast, we share their stories. And we answer the question, how can American Christians live as Christ in an increasingly hostile culture? The way of the persecuted is the harder way. And this is the Harder Way Podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm Scott. And I'm Maddie. And welcome back to the Harder Way Podcast. We are here today with the second installment of our new series, right? Where we're going to be going through the Bible, uh, not chronologically, because why do things in order? I mean, right. we, we, we can jump around. Uh, but we're going through the Bible and we're looking at um, the different people whose lives are described and told about in Scripture and what principles of the harder way we can see them living out. When do we see them choosing the harder way? When do we see them choosing the easy way? And really just trying to um, get some good contemporary modern day application from uh, these accounts of people who really did or sometimes did not. Uh, live the harder way. In addition to that, we hope to bring some, a little bit of uh, Bible background Mm -hmm. to you, a little bit of historical context, maybe some grammatical context, some things that will make your reading of the Bible a little bit richer as you review these stories, uh, these historical accounts, which you should do, Mm -hmm. uh, and then reinforce in your own life uh, how to live the harder way. Yes. So for today, uh, our special person for the day, drumroll please, uh, is Hannah, better known as Samuel's mom. And our uh, our information for today is coming from 1 Samuel chapters 1 and 2. And so either right now, pause this episode and go read 1 Samuel 1 and 2, or listen to the episode, and we'll we'll remind you at the end where that reference is, uh, so that you can read the scripture for yourself. And remember that we are a Bible teaching and Bible delivering ministry, and we mm-hmm. do that so that our brothers and sisters in the persecuted church, who are telling us as of last week that it's the worst situation they've had in the last four years, mm-hmm. there are pastors who haven't even seen a new Bible in Cuba mm-hmm. in two years. Yeah. Two years haven't seen a single new Bible. So they can't open up and read First Samuel like you can. So think of them, pray for them, uh, share this message, uh, and uh, do what you can to support them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So we want to talk a little bit about Hannah. So who was she? Um, well, she was married. She was actually, uh, she was one of two wives. <laughs> and uh, her other, the other wife uh, was named Penina. Again, something that we've mentioned on this podcast before is that Hebrew, ancient Hebrew as we know it, was for a very long time a dead language that was not spoken. Right. And then it's been reconstructed in in modern times to be spoken. And so uh, all of the, the names and then different Hebrew words and things, a lot of times the pronunciations are just guesses. Mm-hmm. So don't make anyone, don't let anyone make you feel bad. Like right? I would say Phineas. <laughs> And so, but most people would say Phineas. Or Phineas. Yeah. yeah. Or or but I think Phineas is right because we know the real we know the real way to say the words because we have the secret info. 
<laughs> so, uh, That's so a joke. yeah, yeah. Don't, we don't have any secret information. Um, so Hannah was married to, uh, a man named, uh, Elkanah. And so was another woman named Penina and Penina had children. She was married to Elkanah. She had children and Hannah was actually barren. She was unable to conceive. Uh, she'd been married for many years and did not have any children. And this was a very devastating emotional situation for her. It was very difficult. Right. Right. And it had some real sociological consequences. So here's some of that cultural background that we're talking about. Right. In other cultures, currently, and and uh, at that time, uh, definitely, uh if you didn't have a son, you didn't have a retirement. So, and if, if as a woman, typically a woman was married to a man who was older than her, maybe 10, 15, 20 years older, because the woman, the young woman would be betrothed to a man who had some success in his life, some security, right? Who already had had made a home. Right. And, it was yeah. all about taking care of your daughter. So if I was sending my daughter out to get married, I'd want to make sure that she was with somebody. Maybe he's not a young, strapping young guy, but he's established he has uh, finances. He can take care of her. The problem is, if the girl doesn't have sons, the, the woman doesn't have a son, then when the man dies, the woman basically is becomes uh, like destitute. And there's very little that she can do to provide for herself. Uh, and so her options are oftentimes prostitution or starvation. And mm. uh, there's, not, there's not really much else available to her. So there's a desperation of not having a son yeah. as well, culturally. And so Hannah is begging, you know, is once a son. And then it's pretty clear from the story that Elkanah really kind of prefers Hannah yes, over his other yes, wife. Yeah. But his other, and his other wife just torments Hannah over the fact that she has no children. She doesn't have any children. Yeah. Yeah. She's constantly, it says that she um, was, a, you know, would arise anger in her. And it says she would provoke and taunt her viciously is the way it's described in the translation we were looking at. Yeah. And I think... Haunt viciously. Our first, <laughs> a harder way, a harder way uh, principle. There's two right here. I see that jumping out. Number one, how am I going to survive when my husband dies? I don't know, but the Lord knows. Mm -hmm. Okay, and you're going to see her put that into, into practice in just a and minute. I was just thinking that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the other one is the fact that there are things that the world tells us we should have that God hasn't provided for us, and we must not let us and let us embitter us. Mm, and if absolutely. we do get embittered, we need to get unbittered yeah. real quick. <laughs> Don't be embittered. We have to choose the way of faith, not the way of fear. Fear makes us bitter, mm -hmm. and that you know leads to all those negative emotions. But faith leads us out of that. So let's go on with the story. So we see Hannah. She's barren. She has no children. She's devastated by this. And every year, uh, when her husband and her family uh, would go up to the temple, she would pray. And she would ask the Lord for a child. Right. And she continued to do this. And one of the times when she was up there after um, year after year of, of praying and never having a child, she's she's there and she's praying to the Lord. And she says, uh, God, if you'll give me a son, then I will dedicate him to you all the days of his life. Basically, if you give me a son, he'll be your son. Right. So she says... If you, that's like saying this, that's like saying, um, Lord, I, I know, I know that I've, I've been starving for, for four days, 
But if you'll provide me a week's worth of food, I will dedicate all of it to you. I'll give all of it back, back right back to you. Yeah. That's basically that's kinda, what she's yeah, saying. Yeah, it kind of seems counterintuitive when you hear it that way. Right. And so she's saying, give me give me something great, and I'll give you that something great right back. Mm-hmm. Right. So she's gonna she's gonna raise him and wean him because that's just a cultural thing. The child basically only was eating breast milk for the you know for the first several years of their life. That was our primary source of sustenance. So he has to be weaned. Weaned. But once he's he's speaking and walking and and he's and he can eat on his own, he's going to the temple. Mm-hmm. So Hannah makes this this vow. Uh, asks this of God and says, if you do this, I will, I will dedicate him to you. I will give this child back to you. And we see that God actually does bless Hannah with a child. She becomes pregnant. She has a baby and that baby is a son. Now, now take this, think about this for a second. If you, uh, think about it, there are a lot of people who make those kinds of deals with God. I've yes, made those, I was thinking about I've made that, those actually. kinds of deals with God. And I thought if you just do this, I'll do that. Mm-hmm. I think that the Lord knew what Hannah was going to do before she ever did it. Yes. So he knew whether she'd actually keep that promise or not. Mm. And I think that's one of the reasons why uh, that promise, why that was fulfilled for her was because he knew, I know that she's going to do what I, what she said she's going to do. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes people will say, well, Lord, if you just deliver me from this, I'll serve you whoever and forever. And the Lord's like, no, you won't. Right. <laughs> I know you won't. I, I know the future, remember? I'm, om, I'm omniscient. I know everything. I know everything. And uh, yeah, and that's so you're going to actually wind up in a worse situation than, than, than you're in. But he knows she's going to do it. And so she has a child. Uh, and then. And she, she does what she said she was going to do. Mm-hmm. And I think that we really should think about this really from a perspective of a mother's perspective, which is that any mother having to give up their child is that is an extremely difficult situation to be in Right. to give up your child. And then to think that she had no other children. Right. And that she for years and years and years had been praying to have a child. And then God gives her this child and she's like, okay, God, I told you that I was going to give him back to you because it would have been very easy for her to go back on what she had said or to, or to, I think what I will say that what people do um, a lot is they'll say things like, well, I didn't mean I was actually going to just go and give him to the priest. I meant more that I was just going to dedicate him to you and that he was going to serve you. Like kind of try to, change the details of our quote-unquote deal with God. Like, I didn't actually mean it that way. Right, right. I meant it a little bit different. And, and who do we know that makes deals like that and talks that way? The devil. Satan, right. We. It's interesting how easily we can slide into his way of thinking yes. or his way of speaking. Yes. Yeah, and so and so she she keeps her word. She keeps it straight. And it says in, uh, in the scripture, it says, uh, um, uh, when she tells she tells her husband, "Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna take him to the temple now," and he says, "Well, do what you think is best." I thought that was really interesting. And then uh, clearly, I when when it says "do what you think is best," I'm like, okay, clearly uh, he was not super on board with it, but was kind of like, I, I mean, uh-huh. it's your choice, I guess. <laughs> so Hannah stayed and nursed uh, her son until uh, she had weaned him, and then it says, 
Once she had weaned him, Hannah took the boy with her along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine. Uh, and though the boy was still young, she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And when they had slaughtered the bull, they brought the boy to Eli. He was the priest, high priest. And please, please, my Lord, said Hannah. This is verse 26. As surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this boy since the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. I now dedicate the boy to the Lord. For as long as he lives, he has dedicated the Lord. So they worship the Lord there. And this dedication meant uh, he stayed there. Yes, he was going to live there. He was going to be... Um being a priest and everything like that, it you really didn't have any sort of, it, it wasn't like, oh yeah, he's just going to school and then he'll come back home once he learns all these things. Yeah, and then the next thing you read is you read in the beginning of chapter two, you read Hannah's joy and her prayer of thanksgiving. Can I just encourage you to read that? Because it's a theology lesson. If you, Because that's one of the things I love about the Old Testament. People will say, oh, we have a different God in the Old Testament than the New Testament. We don't. God's the same t- yesterday, today, and forever. We have a different covenant, but we have the same God, same. unchanging. And the Old Testament really reveals to us the heart and nature of our God. And it's things like this that give you a kind of a compacted vision um, of who God is. And, and what he's all about, and what his heart is, and what he can do, and, and what he does do, and does, doesn't do. So read that prayer of thanksgiving, and you'll see that Hannah has a great theology of God. She really understands who he is. And I think when we're looking at the harder way, you're not going to be able to choose the harder way if you don't know who God is. If you don't know, like in verse 6, she says, The Lord brings death and gives life. He brings down to Sheol, which is hell, and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them among princes and bestows upon them uh, upon them thrones of honor. So she's really showing God's sovereign over all things, and no matter your status in life, God has put you there. What a great understanding. And you're... You need that to have a good journey down the harder way. Well, I think that's an excellent point, which is that if Hannah did not have a proper understanding of who God was, Mm -hmm. she would never have been able to make the decision to actually go through with her promise. If she didn't understand who God was, there is no way that she would have given this child that she had waited so long for, this child that... She had prayed for this child that she loved, this child that was really her insurance policy for her life going forward, because this was a son, right? And she had no other children. There, If she didn't know who God was, if she didn't understand his sovereignty, if she didn't understand um, his character, there is no possible way that she ever would have said, okay, now that I have this baby, I'm going to follow through and dedicate him to the Lord and take him to the temple. No right. way. Right. Right. And not only that, I think if she not had a good understanding of who God was, I think that she would have probably resorted to some kind of manipulative prayer or some kind of oh. manipulative action. An if then kind of a deal. Or okay. a you know, yeah. if I do this, then God has to act. If I contact this soothsayer, if I contact, you know, if I look mm-hmm. for these omens. So we start getting into the the um uh, the uh, 
mythological, you know, worldview. We start getting into the um, the pagan worldview, the very things that God uh, had warned his people not to be involved in, the very reason why he put that wall of separation between them and the other nations around them. I think it would have been very, very easy for her having a wrong view of God to slide into those things. And we see that today. Oh, all, all the, the time. time. Right. And then what happens is God doesn't come through. I, I have a, 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 well, it's a relative of ours and they are so angry at God. I prayed the prayers. I did the stuff and I didn't get what I wanted. Yeah. And, and so God can't be real. And it's like, you don't understand who God, you never understood who God was in the first place, because if you did, you would have never gone down that road. And so for anybody listening right now, if you're in that place in your life where you're thinking, I've got some hardship or tragedy you're dealing with. I've got one right now. If I if I pray these prayers, if I do these things, uh, if I can manipulate God into doing what I want him to do, or I start kind of stretching my idea of what, I, what I'm permitted to do religiously because I'm looking for other avenues, yeah. May, what's it going to hurt for me to place this crystal on my affected joint or whatever it is? You know, yeah, no, my, absolutely. Right? Or, you know, is it wrong to, you know, I can do some tarot cards or do some sort of, I can sage cleanse my house because I'm just struggling with these problems or, right. you know, bringing in certain new age practices. And honestly, just kind of manipulation in general, I think a, a juxtaposition here, uh, we can juxtapose Hannah and Sarah mm-hmm. in that Hannah prayed for a child, didn't have one, kept praying, kept praying. And she didn't know if she was ever going to get one or not. Right. Because God never promised her a child. Right. God promised Sarah a child. And yet... She resorted to her own manipulation and trying to say, okay, well, you know, Abraham, you lay with my handmaiden and then have a baby and then that'll be my baby. And this whole weird thing that ended up completely blowing up in her face and was not the fulfillment of what God had promised her. Um, But I think that's a real, we can look at Hannah choosing the harder way continuing to pray, continuing to pray, even when she didn't feel like she was getting an answer, even when she didn't know how things were going to turn out. And then Sarah, who was, you know, resorted to her own kind of manipulation and trying to make things happen, taking control, right? Mm -hmm. That action side of fear, control. So I would say Sarah had a good idea, but it was not a God idea. Going back to Cain and Abel, right? And you'll hear that all throughout this series. And you'll see that that here, even with... With Hannah, there were some good ideas that she might have come up with. Yeah. But she stuck with the God idea. She stuck with the way of faith. And so what's the result? So she gets a son, mm-hmm. keeps her promise to God. Yes. And that's the harder way right there. Right? Because it, it's it's trusting the Lord for his providence. And that's one of the keys to resilience as well um, that I, that I uh, discovered when I was when – doing my doctoral research was that the persecuted pastors who make it, they have a great trust in God's providence. That means God's providential hand where he takes care of you. He provides your needs, right? Even in the midst of being hungry or being, you know, in in an awful situation or in the midst of sickness or in the midst of some kind of persecution, they still hold out and hold on to, you know, a trust in God's providential hand. And Hannah had it. Yes. That's how I think she made it through all that tormenting, even though she got crushed down by it or depressed by it. 
I think that's how she made it because she had that trust in God. She knew who God was. So she had a good theology and she knew that she could trust him to provide. So she provides, she provides Samuel back to the temple. She gives her son to the temple. Then what ultimately winds up happening to her if we jump down? Well, it's actually interesting you ask that because this is something that no one ever talks about when they tell this story, which is that if you go down uh, in verse 21 of chapter 2, so 1 Samuel 2.21, it says, So the Lord attended to Hannah, and she conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. And so after she gives Samuel to God, and remember at this point, she's thinking this is probably the only child she'll ever have because right. she never had one for years. She prayed and made this promise to God, and this is kind of her miracle child. And so in her mind, why would she think she would ever have any more children? But she fulfilled her promise to God anyway. Gave my one and only child that I will ever have as far as I know. Uh-huh. And then later on, we find out that she ended up actually having five more children, including three sons. Three sons. So Hannah, who did not starve to death or have to be a prostitute, was well taken care of by God through a generous provision of sons and daughters. Wow. It's a really it's a really powerful thing when you when you look at her story for a couple of reasons. One I think is just this idea that's very applicable to all of us, which is the idea of stewardship, the idea that everything belongs to God. And I think it's much easier to look at our material possessions, our finances, even our own bodies, right, mm -hmm. as belonging to God. Um, and then being things that we're just sent to steward. But when we're talking about relationships, when we're talking about other people, um, when we're talking about things of that nature, it's a lot harder to actually put that into practice of what does it mean that God has given me this child to steward, but the child doesn't actually belong to me. The child belongs to God. Because if the child belongs to God, then if she says, okay, well, God wants me to dedicate him to him and wants me to take him uh, to the temple, this is sad for me because I'm going to miss my child, but my child belongs to God, not to me. Absolutely. I think, I think absolutely. And I think that there is uh, a, a real principle of first fruits here that we haven't discussed yet. Oh, yeah. When the Israelites go into the Holy Land, uh, the first thing they do is they take Jericho. Yes. And Jericho is the first fruits of the Holy Land, of the conquering of the Holy Land. And so the Lord wants every bit of it sacrificed to him. Mm -hmm. Right? And archaeological discoveries have shown us that that's exactly what happened. That place was burned, was knocked down and burned down. Right? Yes. Okay. When you think about um, this principle of first fruits, Samuel is the first fruit of Hannah's womb, hmm. right? Yeah. And so and, and, and so she gives the, her firstborn child. And look at what God does with him, with, with the first fruits. Yes. Without Samuel, there's no Israel. Yeah. Because, it, because he's the one that gets Saul, you know, anoints Saul, and then unanoints Saul. He's the one that goes and selects David and then anoints David. And, all, you know, uh, he was the last judge. 
of Israel. Without, I mean, without Samuel, you don't have the kingship of David. You don't have that Davidic line going forward in the specific way that it did. Um, and without that, then we don't have Jesus coming into the world at that perfect time with that exact genealogy, um, everything that God had lined up. Samuel actually played a really important part of, of that, despite not actually being in the direct lineage of Christ. He played a critical role in that. And that's something that I actually um, had thought about before, and I've spoken about this in the past uh, to people, which is when I look at the story of Hannah, something that comes to my mind is the concept that our dreams are not for us. Ooh, explain that. So Hannah had this dream inside of her to have a child. And she's thinking this whole time that this dream to have a child was so that she could be fulfilled by having a child, that she could have a child to love, a child that would take care of her when she's old. The culture screamed, you, your value you was in having worthless children. worthless if you don't have a child. Worthless. Yeah, that was what, what was being told to her. So she has this dream, and she thinks that it's so she can be fulfilled in that way. When in actuality, God gave her that dream so that Samuel could play his important role in the kingdom of Israel, in the kingship of David, in the in the forward motion of the lineage of Christ. So the dream was never for her. It was through her, but it wasn't for her. And I think that's something that we have to think about. You know, all of us have dreams. Some of them are dreams that God has given to us. Some of them are maybe, you know, more just based in our, in our flesh or, or things like that. But when there are dreams that it's very clear that God has placed them in our hearts, it's important for us to realize that they're probably not about us. Even if it seems like it's about us, God is always looking to use us for the furthering of his plan, looking to use us for the blessing of other people, being the hands and feet. And so whatever that dream is, as you're praying, as you're going forward, you can remember that God has given you this dream. And, and, you know, God may want to work that dream out through you, but it's probably not for you. Big picture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think I would add to that simply that we need to be conscious of the fact that we have to be obedient to God's leading and faithful to his, uh, to following the harder way mm -hmm. because our actions may have an impact, will have an impact on us now, but they may have a major impact in ways we can never even think of down the road. Yeah. And the secular world calls that the butterfly effect, but. <laughs> right. Well, it really, it, there, it really is there. And you think about the people historically that we talk about, we still share stories about. They were just living their lives, trying to be faithful to this God in the way that they knew this God. Hannah had no idea she was going to be written down in a book and that we'd be reading about her thousands of years later. No. She had no concept. She just knew my in my little life, mm -hmm. my culture tells me I should have a child. My heart tells me I want a child. My God and my faith tell me that child should be dedicated to the Lord. And, and the Lord took it from there. So there's no promise, though, that she... There is no guarantee in your life that if you are faithful and you give that way, that the Lord's going to give you your version of three sons and two daughters. You don't know that. Mm 
But what you do know is that there's always a blessing in faithfulness. Yes. And there is a reward in walking the harder way. So I think Hannah chose the way of faith throughout. She never took control. She never, Many of us can say that. <laughs> she, yeah, she never let her fear allow her to take control. And even in when she uh, had a, a great opportunity to take control, which would be to keep Samuel for herself. Yes. She still chose to walk the harder way. And thanked God through it. And praise the Lord for it. And I think that's uh, maybe our bottom line lesson today is we need to praise the Lord even in the midst of our trials and our hardships. Mm -hmm. And we need to choose to walk by faith, knowing that God is sovereign and he's in control. Yes. And that he has the best plan for us, but not only for us, for his people and for his kingdom. Mm -hmm. God is a big picture God. And uh, we would encourage you all, if you didn't pause and, and read it at the beginning of the episode, uh, now that you're finishing up, we would encourage you to uh, turn this off and head over to First uh, Samuel chapters 1 and 2 to read the account of Hannah and her harder way life for yourself. And if you want to hear more about uh, persecuted Christians and how they're living the harder way, uh, give us an email at uh, nations4jc at gmail.com. That's nations, the number 4jc, no spaces, at gmail.com. And uh, we'll send you a link to uh, get your contact information, and we will send you a hard copy of the Courier Update, uh, our letter from persecuted Christians to you that comes out every week. Well, God bless you guys. Every month, sorry. <laughs> the Harder Way podcast is every week. Share this too. And uh, God bless you. All right, we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Harder Way podcast. If you were encouraged by this episode, please consider sharing it with a friend or leaving us a review. To be the first to know when we publish new episodes, subscribe to the Harder Way podcast on your favorite platform. Until next time, remember the words of Christ. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven.